It's Golden Hour Adventure Time, featuring everyday people doing extraordinary things. From the peaks of victory to the valleys of defeat, these are their stories. Now, from the back of the pack, your hosts, Justin and Robbie. Welcome to Golden Hour Adventures. Today, we have an awesome guest. And I know I say that on every single one of my podcasts because every single one of our guests are super awesome. Today, we have Andy Bennett from Sioux Falls. She has taken the unofficial title of the woman who has run the most ultra marathons in, I'm sorry, the most 100 milers in the state of South Dakota. It's an unofficial title that we on this podcast are going to give her. So congrats <laughs> and welcome to the podcast, Andy. Thanks. I have no idea if that's accurate or not. But um. <laughs> uh, I asked around a couple people and I don't think that there is a female with as many hundred milers. I actually don't think that there is a male or female with a, that many hundred milers under their belt. So you might have that title as the most badass ultra runner in the state of South Dakota. I mean, I feel like that's a title that I'm willing to to give you. And I think Robbie is probably willing to give you that as well. Yes. Okay. I found a couple guys that had done more, but. Oh, well, we won't mention them. Yeah, you know, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know who they are. <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. You have a, a super cool story and I, I can't wait to hear it. Um, you recently finished your 11th hundred miler at mines of spain i did yeah and you got a super cool buckle of 500 miles yeah the race has gone on for five years and there's five of just five random runners that have ended up running it all five years so they gave us a huge buckle and a patagonia coat and um, yeah it was a big accomplishment for for the group and for the race it was a lot of fun yeah do you know the other five or the other four only from racing. Oh, okay, <laughs> cool. There yeah. running it. You just show up and like, man, you're coming back again. <laughs> <laughs> well, three of them are from the Iowa area. Oh, They're okay. from the Dubuque area. Do you get like a do you get like an auto invite every time the Mines of Spain uh, goes back up for registration or? <laughs> no, like, Andy. We know you're uh, you're wanting to come put six hundred in. Here's the. <laughs> Well, that's the pressure now every year is, oh, do you go back again? I I don't know. I mean, I feel like you got to get the thousand, right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you got to get the 10. <laughs> What's the pressure? The when does it stop? I don't know. It never does. It never does. So, well, cool. Let's get into it. How um, how did you get into to running? Um, I hated running growing up. Awesome. Um, I, yeah, I grew up as a dancer. I did all kinds of dance. And then um, once I had kids, I kind of stopped performing. And then the reasons to, it's kind of like if you run without racing, you know, you just kind of lose your motivation. So I feel like easy. we skipped over this dancing thing. There's a story there. What's, <laughs> what's this dancing thing? Like what's, what, what uh, style of dance and. All styles. I started when I was three and um, danced a lot, like middle school and high school. Danced quite a bit. What, um, uh, like all styles is in like ballet or? Yeah, that's right. Ballet, jazz, tap. Wow. Um, modern, which is now more like contemporary. Did so, you perform anywhere big or locally? Yeah, mostly just locally. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
I went to Hawaii once to dance at a football game in high no school. Way. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Was that the Pro Bowl? It was the Aloha Bowl on oh, Christmas. Okay. That's yeah. super cool. Yeah. See, it's just little things like this. You just don't know about people. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah, I've been dancing for like 30 years. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't look like it, but I did. No. Did you go to college for dancing or? I was going to minor in dance. And then once I got to college, I realized I just kind of needed a break from it. I did the dance team for two years and then just took a break. Well, you kind of hear, you kind of hear a lot about that. Um, most recently when the gymnastics in the Olympics, how the kind of mental breakdown, you know, they, they train for so many years and it's just like, I can't do it anymore. Is that, that was that kind of what happened? It's just like, you're just drained because you'd been doing it for so many years or. Yeah. And I just didn't have any free time all those years and um, just wanted to have time to do some other things. Yeah. It kind of becomes, it kind of defines your identity at that point. Like, kind of like run, like running. <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> I know it's like, oh, you were a dancer, but now you're a runner. But anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just thought they're like, oh, you were a dancer. That's cool. Let's talk about it. Yeah, well, actually, dancing and preparing for shows is a lot like preparing for a race. They're mm -hmm. pretty similar in a lot of ways. So, um, so I. Kind of just started running, just doing a mile here, a mile there. Got into halves, maybe when I was about 35. I did my first half. Um, 2016 is when I started doing ultras. Um, and I jumped in pretty fast. I was going to do a 50K at Lean Horse. Um, and I had ended up doing three marathons that summer. So a 50 K wasn't a big jump. So I jumped up to the 50 mile instead. So I... <laughs> oh my gosh. 26 to 50. Yeah. I mean, I did three marathons. Of course I can do 50 miles. <laughs> Along with that gap in between you doing uh, your half marathon to those three marathons and a 50 miler. Oh, I don't remember. Maybe like three years. Oh, okay. And so you just ran like half marathons in between in that time. Yeah. Yeah. I did a couple marathons. Um, That's like 2012, 2013 timeframe. What you see. don't have your whole running timeline listed out and just in front of you. <laughs> every race. I want to know every race. <laughs> and your time. I have a list somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> Um, oh, ultra sign up for me. That's my list. <laughs> <laughs> like, what'd you do? I don't remember. Let me log on. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I'd done a couple marathons and then that summer I decided I was going to do two marathons and then a 50 K and instead I did three marathons and a 50 mile. Um, and then once I did the 50 mile, I thought, well, that seemed impossible. Maybe I could do a hundred. So, um, November of that year, I ran a hundred. So, so I just jumped right in. Three marathons, a 50 miler and a hundred in one year. Yeah. Plus a six mile or a six hour run and a 50 K to train for that hundred. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd be broke. I wouldn't be able to walk the next year. <laughs> what hundred was it? Uh, Tunnel Hill. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've heard a lot of great things about that race. Yeah. Um, 
Unfortunately, I got um, influenza that week, the week of the 100, but I still managed to run it. I was just kind of miserable. <laughs> you can't see my eyes on the podcast, but they just rolled. <laughs> Tunnel Hill. What was your time on your first 100? Uh, 23.56. Wow. It's pretty flat. It's runnable. It's real runnable. Wow. So you qualified for Boston the first year. I'm missing out. <laughs> uh, sub 24 on your first 100 miler after doing a pretty much every other ultra marathon there is distance wise. Well, that's impressive. All right. That's the end of the podcast. We don't really need to hear anything else. <laughs> impressed me. How do we go from there? So, so then, I signed up for, then I signed up for Leadville. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What uh what year did you run Leadville? 2017. 2017. Robbie was probably out there. Yeah. 2019. Oh, you've run it twice. Okay. How do you like Leadville? Parts of it. <laughs> yeah, I've heard through through our guests, I've heard mixed mixed reviews on Leadville. Exciting. Um, it's fun to see, you know, the elite runners come back through after, after um, that halfway point. It's huge. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Now, how was that training um, in Sioux Falls? That's, you know, I mean, you do have hills there, but nothing like, you know, no elevation compared to what you're going to be training, running at Leadville. Like what, what did your training look like leading into Leadville? Um, first year I ran it, I did go out to the Black Hills and did some running and I, um, went out and ran Silver Rush, which is the 50 mile mm -hmm. out of Leadville. Um, back then I did a lot of running at our ski hill, um, which is called Great Bear. And I ran up the ski hill quite a bit. Um, the second time I ran it, I had a different coach and he had a different approach to things. So I did more um, like speed work on hills, um, you know, running, running fast up hills. Yeah. And, uh, what were your times at Leadville? Um, like 2917 and 2943. I had wow. belted problems the second year. Did you both golden hours hour. though? Mm -hmm. Love it. <laughs> second year was a little more stressful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Robbie went out there, has been out there. How many years have you you gone out there and volunteered? Um, started in 2014. Then 20 was the first year I didn't go. Wow. So you all have crossed paths and didn't even know it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where were you volunteering at? Um, All over the place. A lot at Twin Lakes. Sure. That aid station is so huge. Yeah. It's a party. <laughs> yeah. My husband, I got in there and my husband took my pack. I didn't realize it's like a full city block all the way around. So I couldn't find him. I had no idea where he went. You know, most aid stations are so small that you can see everybody really easily. And there it's, it's so big. It's just amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. Then you have to run through the aid station to get to your crew down the road, wherever they're parked out, which is mm -hmm. kind of odd. Because that aid station's big, but 
most people need their crew at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So from Leadville in 2017, where'd you go from there? Hmm. I don't know. I should look up. I should have looked at my list. Um, <laughs> oh gosh. 2017 ran Leadville. Hmm. I would assume mine's a Spain that year too, right? Mine's a Spain was, must've been 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Oh, they did have it in 20. They did. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. We got really lucky. Yeah. Okay. That was one of the few races that, that they were able to do. And so, okay. We're, we're counting the hundred milers. We have 11. 1100 milers what are yep. they what are they tunnel hill two at leadville five at mines of spain hitchcock which is down in iowa black hills hundred oh what is the other one <laughs> i always forget them when you've read so many <laughs> I should go look at my oh I should look at my buckles that'll do it there you go there we go what's your favorite buckle oh I don't know um now my huge one I suppose your big 500 big 500 listen all that clink yeah sounds like there's a lot going on oh superior Oh, superior. Okay. Yeah. Superior. I just did that one this year. Are your buckles okay. in a shoebox? Yeah, it's under my bed. <laughs> oh, that's funny. There's another eye roll. <laughs> I don't know what to do with them. I wear them once in a while. Wear them. People, wear your buckles. Be proud of them. You earned them. You put in like seven months. Well, I put in seven months for mine. You put in a lot of time for that buckle. It's not like an eight-second buckle. <laughs> a lot longer than that. Wear your buckles. A lot of egg. And... <laughs> Do you wear yours very often? Every single day that I have the opportunity to wear my buckle, I'll wear a buckle. Me too. Oh, wow. And I have one right That's here. That's impressive. Oh, yeah, I've got that one. Yeah, we got that one together. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. Andy and I met at a fat ass that I used to organize, run also called uh, Seven Summits, where we run seven of somewhat of the most runnable summits in South Dakota. Um, Andy came over the year that we were getting ready to run Black Hills and we met at uh, at that summit run so that was a really fun fun day you missed this last year though it was super cool it was it snowed the entire day and it was a muddy mess and we had like snow tornadoes come in on us it was a lot of fun <laughs> that is a great event that's a lot of fun yeah it is i'm hoping the butters pick it up this year yeah i hope so it'd be nice to go back you have to well, give me the game plan. <laughs> I got you. Um, so what what got you into um, running hundred milers? You, I know you mentioned that 
you know, 50 maybe wasn't that much, but it seems like the hundred mile distance is kind of your go-to um, distance. I have a love-hate relationship with hundreds. It's um, really something, but I think, you know, the 50 felt impossible. And so I just thought, oh, could I do a hundred? And I, I went and ran with a friend of mine and just kind of brought it up to him. He had done several. Um, and he said, oh, when do you want to do it this year? And that's, that's how I ended up at Tunnel Hill because he kind of pushed me to get going on it right away instead of waiting, you know, a year or whatever. Um, hundreds, I think they're just, they're the most challenging. I don't feel like I've gotten them sorted out. I don't think even if I run a hundred of them that I'll have them sorted out. Um, so it's just the fun challenge of, of, you know, that you're going to get pushed to your limits at, on every race, you know, in one way or the other. Um, and it's just, it's more satisfying to finish something that's really a hard challenge. What has been your biggest uh, struggles within the hundred? I really had some trouble with nutrition um, last year, especially um, at Black Hills. That was a big problem for me. And then at Mines of Spain, um, it became an issue, especially overnight. I was falling asleep on the trails um, and I couldn't stay warm because my nutrition was so far behind. Um, and so actually at that one, I realized two months after Mines of Spain last year, I had Hitchcock coming up and I said, oh, if if I have that same trouble at night at Hitchcock in December, I'm really going to be in trouble. Um, it could be, you know, a really dangerous situation. So I um, went and met with a dietitian last year and kind of got a better game plan for, for nutrition and um, started taking in more calories and drinking more. And um, I'm still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it sorted out yet. I'd like to say that all my races this year were great because of it, but they haven't been, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a process. <laughs> it is. So you're calorie based on your nutrition. I have been, I've been following a dietitian on um, Instagram who's really pushing carbs instead of calories. Um, but I haven't implemented any of that into a race yet. I think uh, we follow the same person. I, I, uh, I started moving over to carbs in my training runs as well. And I've actually noticed a pretty big difference. It's mm. just so much food, 60 calories, 60 carbs is a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then she, she pushes using a recovery drink instead of like scratch. Have you tried that? I haven't. No. Okay. I'm doing this year where I'm doing something different. I'm not running anything in my, my water bottles. Um, this, the first year I ran, uh, well, first year, two years ago, uh, I ran a couple ultras and I ran nothing in my water bottles, but water. And I would take salt capsules and I had no issues this year. In every race, I ran something like scratch or element, something in my water bottles. And I had this sensation in my throat where I couldn't swallow and I could never like quench my thirst. And I think it had to do with all of the salt in that stuff, just like hitting my throat and not necessarily drying my throat out because I was continuously drinking. And so I was, I knew I was hydrated, but just something, I don't know, with the salt, like it was messing with my throat. So this year I'm going back to um, just water in my pack and taking capsules again. And I'm going to see if I can, if that was the issue and if I can fix it just by doing that. So yeah, 
<laughs> okay. But See. yeah, something in I, and it it just happened right off the bat in my first ultra of this year, and I just I don't know. So, and mm. I feel like I can I can keep track of my my salt intake better by taking capsules than I can using scratch because you know when you're carrying it around a little baggy, like how much do you actually put in? You know, and so sure. But, but yeah, I've been doing the carbs, the 60 carbs, and I um I do like it, but I've only been I haven't done anything over three hours yet. So it's you know, we'll we'll see when it gets to the the four or five hours how long, you know, how, how much food I gotta carry. So yeah. I um I one thing that I started doing is I have a timer on my watch that goes off every half hour to eat. Um like it's superior that course is so technical and so dealing with that and trying to eat every half hour it just got to be a lot <laughs> a lot so yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah i did that this year too i had a timer every 30 minutes and it, it was just it was a lot and i started ignoring it after a while because you know you're just like i'm not hungry but then you fall behind but anyway mm -hmm. so what what is your what is your favorite hundred been um, the one that I think is run the best is mine's Spain, honestly. Um, the race director just does a phenomenal job. They have great volunteers. Um, they supply food for crew. And so it's a 20, 20 mile loop. Um, and so it's my husband's favorite race because he can go and enjoy Dubuque and sightsee and ride his bike and do whatever he wants. And he just has to come back, you know, every four or five hours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he knows where I am. He's not looking for me on some trailhead out in the out in the in the forest or whatever. So um, I just think that that race is run so well that that that's part of the reason we keep going back. Yeah. Well, yeah, five years of it. That's that's pretty insane. Running the yeah. same race five years. I don't know. I think I would I would get personally I'd just be like, all right, I gotta go do it again. But I guess if it's just that well organized and the you know, aid stations are that good and just it's kind of set up for crew as well. Um I, I agree. That would be something you'd want to attend. Mm -hmm. Um, superior, I just the hundred that I just did this year, that was my first year being there, and that was that's a really cool race. It was really hard, really, really hard. Um, but I enjoyed that. Would you put Superior up there as your hardest one? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. It rained the whole first day. Um, it was raining before the race started, and it rained until oh, like five at night. And so all the rocks and everything were slippery and oh. muddy. Um, <laughs> that's gross. It would have been hard any it would have been hard in dry conditions. Um, but yeah, that was I definitely experienced parts of the course where if I was just out for a hike, I would have turned around and stopped. <laughs> <laughs> but you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Have you been up there at all? No, I have not been to Superior. Okay. Where is Superior yeah. at? Um, Northern Minnesota. Okay. And it's a point to point hundred. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So, you know, if you quit, you don't get to see part of the course. So that that's motivating to keep going. That is motivation. How mm -hmm. does the, how does your crew, how is that for crewable? Is it pretty easy to crew or? Oh, 
Um, I heard that a lot of people had wagons to bring their stuff in. You know, I think there were a couple of aid stations where there was a good amount of walking, um, but none of it was too far off the highway. And it was, that's a really, really well-organized race. So they give you really specific directions that your crew is required to have along. Um, and so it, I think it, it was as good as it could be. Yeah. Um, okay. But there's not anywhere to stop, to, or not a lot of options to stop and get food like along the highway. So, um, <laughs> Robbie and I, I have a lot of experience in that. <laughs> <laughs> running out of food while you're trying to crew. Uh, we almost ran out of gas and food. Um, I probably, <laughs> I probably spent $10 a gallon. I didn't even look because I didn't want to, but. We're, oh, yeah. we're in the middle of nowhere, Montana, and we had skipped a like a big town. Like, oh, we'll just get something in this next town. And this next town had a uh, a one restaurant that was closed, um, and a random gas pump in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Robbie, get on your phone. Where's the other gas station? I'm like, bro, that's it. <laughs> and it, oh, it that was a hard race to crew, because yeah, it was. I think the aid stations, like you had to drive like two and a half hours to get to each aid station. It was, oh, it was wow. crazy, but yeah. So we have experience in, uh, that's, it was an awesome race, but the, for crewing was like, Ooh, he, uh, the individual we were, were pacing, um, and crewing had two crews. So it was good that we were separated like that just because we didn't, <laughs> he wouldn't have had an option of having a crew if he didn't. So. What race was that? It's the Crazy Mountain 100. Okay. And it apparently was a Crazy Mountain 100. <laughs> yeah. Well, it runs in the Crazy Mountains. That's the okay. the name of the mountains that it runs in. And it's, yeah, I think it was a pretty difficult race. But uh, the section that I did was like, it, I did like 25, 26 miles. And it was like 7,000 feet of climb in, in that time. So it was, it was, uh, it was a pretty difficult little section that I did. And I think the section before that was as equally hard, but it was on technical trail. Okay. And so, yeah, it was, I think he, he got well over 20,000. Wow. So yeah, it was a, it was a big race, but yeah. <laughs> Sounds interesting. So you mentioned your, your husband crewing you for Mines of Spain. Is that something that is uh, normally like your family comes out? You mentioned you had a couple kids. Are they normally um coming out for your races um my husband comes to the hundreds and my kids have come to they came to um silver rush 50 and then they came to um black hills 100 and that's oh, been okay it. yeah so there was there was one aid station where uh my wife was waiting on me um I, you were ahead of me I, I don't know you know when um when 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 this was but um she said that you had come through because we had both met you at uh seven summits that year and she said you had come through and you kind of just broke down and your your family your kids just kind of surrounded you were giving you hugs and they were giving you some encouragement and my wife said she's on the on the other side of the uh aid station just she's she's crying because she's like oh my gosh this is just like the sweetest thing i've ever seen so just like <laughs> Like what happened in that moment, if you don't mind discussing it? Sure. Well, I've, um, my kids, they're 14 and 16 now, so they would have been 13 and 15. Um, and I had told them going into the race that, that they had to be ready to kind of give me a pep talk <laughs> to 
keep positive and give me pep talks. And I didn't really know how it would go. Um, but at that point, let's see, I was probably at, I think there's, I don't know, at Elk Creek, like 15 or 17 miles to go, something like that, maybe 18. Um, but I was way behind on calories and the, um, 50 K runners had started the race after I left Dalton Lake. So they were all coming through and everybody was passing me. And I just felt like I was getting further and further behind, even though, um, they were all people from a different race. So, um, I got up to that aid station and was just really feeling defeated. Um, <laughs> and I walked up and I just started complaining, you know, to, to my husband and my kids and, um, my younger son looked at me and said, well, if you quit now, it's all for nothing. You've got to finish because otherwise all the work you've done up until now, it doesn't, doesn't matter. And, and it was kind of exactly what I needed to hear at that time. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a pretty amazing thing that, that this kid could come up with exactly what I needed to hear right then. Yeah. Just um, straight rallied around you and was able to. Yeah. That was the lower part of the aid station. So then I still had to do that mile trek <laughs> up <laughs> Oh, that thing is awful. You get to yeah, the top, I, you're like, are we done? And I started crying on the way up there. By the time I got there, I sat down and I was just bawling. Um, and this guy that I'm friends with now, I talked to him after the race and he said, I saw you at that aid station. You look like shit. <laughs> 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 I said, I know I was so hungry. Oh, it was so awful. Um, but I the cookies? That's what that aid station is famous for is the cookies. Yeah, I, I ate a cookie. I looked at it and thought, oh, that's exactly what I need. I just needed a cookie. Um, but yeah, that was that was a tough finish. I didn't have pacers, so it was a really long night. Yeah. Long oh, night. Long yeah. I've yet to do one without pacers. I don't know. I'm scared. I've only done two, so. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if you go without a pacer, then you know that it's all on you to get it done. That's true. Um, and if you have the wrong person out there pacing you, then that can be its own challenge. So it, it's kind of a mix. I've had um, the last three races I've had, um, or actually I set things up with Jess ahead of time this time, but my previous 200s, um, I had people that, our friends that just jumped in kind of at the last minute, which was actually a really nice surprise. Yeah, that's you know, cool. you're prepared to be alone and all of a sudden you've got somebody just ready to, to get going with you. So that's been fun. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That situation, my wife was just like, that was just like the, the coolest thing. You know, she was just, she was, looked like she was just defeated and he just kind of surrounded her and took care of her. So I just mm -hmm. wanted to, I wanted to bring it up just to, to shout out to your family. Just, you know, not really, yeah, I mean, I guess they know hundreds, but they don't know like the feeling of what you're going through and, you know, and just being able to say what they did. I think that's really cool to let's go, mom. We got this. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, um, actually being there for a hundred and seeing what it's like made it less scary for them. I think they worry a lot about me being out in the dark by myself in the woods. Yeah. Um, especially in the black Hills <laughs> with mountain lions and bears and, <laughs> rattlesnakes all the different things you could run into out there um so it kind of put them at ease to actually see that it's not such a scary experience 
I'm sure you've had some other low points during your hundreds. How do you deal with them? Um, I think it depends on what's going on. Um, Superior at sunlight at Superior, like at daybreak, um, I got into an aid station and actually my coach was working there volunteering. Um, and my husband was there and I, um, had done the math and I didn't know if I'd be able to finish that race. And I was feeling pretty defeated. Um, and they were just real matter of fact of all you can do is keep going, you know, just get moving. And, and I just tried to focus on that all day that, um, all you can do is try, you know, just keep trying, just keep going. Um, and that really helped. Um, trying to think, I haven't cried at too many of them, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> But I always think like around that 70 to 80 mile mark, you're so tired and you have so far to go. Um, and you have to just kind of break it down sometimes, you know, just trying to get to the next aid station or um, sometimes having the sun come up will just give you a little bit more energy. Um, sometimes I just need quiet time to myself to kind of refocus and, and kind of get my energy back. Um, I guess I don't really have one set thing that I do, but, uh, somehow I've, I've managed to get through all these races. Um, I did have one DNF, but that was a couple of years ago. What was that? That was Zumbro, the year of the blizzard. Um, so that race is in April in, um, Southern Minnesota and a big storm came through. So, um, at first it was icy and then it was really muddy. Um, and I, gosh, I don't know how many people finished, like 15 people finished that race that year. Wow. Um, but I was pretty disappointed cause I felt like I gave up too soon. So it was my, I think that was my third hundred. So you asked what I did after Leadville and that's, that was the race that I tried to do. And, <laughs> <laughs> it did not go well. How did that affect you mentally after what mile did you did you DNF at? I DNF'd I think at 37. Okay, so pretty pretty um early in the race. Yeah. Yeah. Um which actually on the way back to the car from DNFing, it started um there was freezing rain. It was a huge storm that came through there. Um, so it's good that I quit when I did, cause I think otherwise we might've gotten stuck there. Um, but mentally that was, that was pretty devastating. I was just shocked by how awful it was. Um, and I, I looked online a lot and couldn't find really a lot of blog posts or information about how to deal with a DNF. Um, and so that's kind of something I've, I've kept an eye out for now, you know, going forward so that if it would happen again, I'd have more resources to, to kind of draw from, you know, and, and be more familiar with the sport. I was still pretty new to racing back then. Um, so I, I think since then I've seen a lot of friends go through DNS and it's, it's easier to be empathetic to other people than you are to yourself. Um, so hopefully I'd manage it better now, but I definitely would prefer not to go through that again.
<laughs> well, I don't think any of us would, but sometimes <laughs> situations dictate it. Oh, no. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah, it's got to be mentally tough because you're preparing, you know, for, for months for this race. And then, you know, sometimes have people coming out. And and it's just, we've had a couple people on the podcast talk about their experiences going through a DNF and, you know, how much it affects them mentally. And, you know, it seems like sometimes... The last individual we had on that was talking about DNF, he essentially quit running for a couple months just because it, you know, it really, really affected him. And kind of digging yourself out of that hole has got to be tough. Yeah. That's a really big break. <laughs> big silence is waiting on Robbie. <laughs> Sorry, things froze up on me for a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you talking? Yeah, it looked like it was just a big silence. It, I didn't I didn't know if you were just, it looked like you were just sitting there smiling at us. And I was like, oh, well, I guess. <laughs> well, technically, you were sitting there smiling at us. We just, uh, <laughs> we didn't know you were frozen. And I was like, oh, well, this just got awkward well, I... really quick. <laughs> I thought she was going to say something, but. <laughs> well, I will say, um, like after that DNF, I realized that I was pretty much burned out going into that race to start with, you know, regardless of the storm. Um, I'd just been pushing too hard for, for a couple of years. Um, and so I spent that summer kind of rebuilding, um, or trying to figure out what I liked about running and, and connecting to friends more. And, um, and then that 2018, so I DNF'd in April, and then that October I went back, and that was my first year at Mines of Spain. And I had an awful race, actually. I My leg locked up at, I think, mile 47, and I, I really couldn't run the second half of the race, but um, I just put so much work into trying to like running again that I just had a great time anyway. Um, so it in a lot of ways, you know, having a DNF really taught, has gotten me to be a stronger runner um, and helped me appreciate running a lot more. So it was awful to go through, but it was really beneficial too. Yeah. You should be that blog post. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found some good ones now. Susan Donnelly wrote a couple of good ones. Um, so, yeah. So that it's, DNF was pretty much due to weather? It was due to weather, but I also felt like I quit too early. Um, although I had hypothermia, uh, I didn't really realize it at the time. But um, once I warmed up, I realized how screwed up my mental game had been. Because um, I, I was dressed to run, and instead with the mud, we were stuck walking through a lot of things, and, and I just got too cold. And so I was... Already by mile 37, I was behind on calories and I was too cold. And um, so there were a lot of other factors, but weather was definitely kind of a big part of it. Well, I think I think having a DNF early, that early in your career probably taught you a lot of things. Some runners never have DNFs or they wait till later in their career to have a DNF. And other people have multiple DNFs early in their career that learn from them or they just quit the sport. Um, so do you feel with your DNF that it lit some fire and 
change some things the way you looked at running? Yeah, it definitely did. Um, and I still draw on that experience now, you know, every race in some ways, um, you know, one thing at Zembro is, um, I just kept thinking, oh, the weather's just going to get worse. This is just going to get worse. And it, what it ended up doing is it changed, you know, overnight people said that the ground froze and, um, it was still really hard conditions, but, um, you know, I was so busy trying to kind of thinking ahead about how awful it was going to be. Um, and I kind of used that this year at Superior to say, okay, you, the weather is going to change and it's going to be better. And um, I don't know. It it helped. It's helped me a lot, actually. I've heard a lot of people talk about, um, you know, their DNFs and, and then, you know, just, just, recollecting on the on what it is and then you know they come back to other races and they have some similar problem and they continue on but they're like a lot of things can get fixed by walking and food oh sure yeah and definitely so if you know I, my last race i got in a, a real big bind and i literally i walked for 17 miles and i just i just ate food and walked for 17 miles and my situation fixed itself essentially um yeah i you know, ran into risk with having to chase down cutoffs, but it, it essentially worked. So I don't know. I kind of take that, take that to little piece and kind of ran with it a little bit, literally ran with it. I walked with it. <laughs> <laughs> walked with the cheeseburger. <laughs> Chicken noodle soup. Chicken noodle soup. <laughs> what was your, uh, what's been your, Minus your DNF, what's been your worst experience in a in a hundred? I think um, probably last year at Mines of Spain, being so so behind on calories was really hard. Um, I was sitting down or laying down on the course um, oh, no. quite a bit. Um, yeah, I there's this big hill. Um, it's switchbacks that go almost a mile uphill going to the aid station. And I was most of the way up it and I just laid down in the grass. <laughs> <laughs> I was like five, less than five minutes from the, the main aid station. And instead I was on the ground. Um, and luckily somebody got me up and, and got me to the aid station. But um, then I went out for the next loop and, and I tried to, I tried to quit actually at an aid station. Um, I sent my husband a text and said I was dropping. And then um, this volunteer at the aid station just wouldn't hear any of my excuses. She just, if I said <laughs> I was hungry, she gave me food. I said I was thirsty and she gave me coffee and she gave me hand warmers. She just wasn't taking, taking it. So uh, she sent me on my way. And I got to the next aid station and saw my husband and I just burst out bawling. <laughs> I said, I didn't think I'd make it here. And I was just <laughs> crying. And, oh, it was a mess. Um, so that that was a pretty low point, but I got through it. What's your best one? Or your most yes. favorite? Obviously, mine's of Spain is probably your favorite because it's one you keep going back to. But what was your <laughs> best, ex best experience? You know, this year at Superior, I had 
a friend, um, she was there to pace somebody else and that, that friend ended up DNFing. Um, but Alicia came and she ran with me instead. Um, and then that friend that DNF, she came to the finish line. And so, um, I'd gone into that race thinking that it was just going to be, you know, my husband is my crew and then me and, and that would be it. And instead at the finish line, I had, um, my coach was there and my, a pacer Alicia was there and, and I had kind of this whole group of people around me. And so, you know, you, you can go into these races thinking it's really a solitary, um, a, a solo event and, and people kind of rally around you. So, um, that was really cool. And, um, my coach is in Wisconsin, so I don't get to see him very much. So having him there was really a big deal. Yeah. I always just say it's a individual event made successful by a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's kind of the thing because oh my gosh, my team has rallied around me many a times. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. You know, like you talked about at Black Hills, my family being there. Um, sometimes having having people show up and just give you that little bit of encouragement you need to just get to the next the next spot is pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So what keeps you motivated to sign up for these hundred milers? I mean, hundred miles is no easy feat. Um, what keeps you going? I don't, I'm crazy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> are we all? Yeah, I was going to say, you run ultras, you got to be a little crazy. <laughs> um, hundred milers. Yeah, I think um, like for next year, I'm looking at doing probably Bighorn. And then I'm hoping to get in Superior again. That's a lottery. And then I'm probably going to go back to Mines of Spain, actually. Um, (laughs) But I think like Bighorn, the thrill is it just looks so beautiful and so amazing. Um, Yeah, that scenery would be great. Um, Superior fast. That sells out. Bighorn sells out. Does it? It does. It's a Western States and a hard rock qualifier. It sells out fast. Uh, and it's been open for, I think it's been open for a, almost a month. It yeah. has. Yeah. Okay. So. That's good to know. <laughs> um, Superior, I kind of want to go back to see what that would be like to do again. You know, sometimes you do something once and you think, oh, was that a fluke? Or if I go back, could I, can I do it again? Um, and I've heard a lot of people finish some years and don't finish other years. Um, that one, they give you a sweatshirt where they add a star every year that you finish it. So that's kind of a cool thing too. Oh, be nice sweet. to add some stars. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think the thrill is that all these races, they just feel impossible and they, they seem impossible. And then somehow you get through it and, um, there's not a lot of things in life that offer that type of challenge. You know, life is for me is pretty consistent with my job and my family. And, um, there's not a lot of risk in my normal life. Um, but there's a lot of, a lot of vulnerability in a hundred miles. How do you yeah, balance your, definitely. your work family schedule with training for sometimes three hundreds a year? Um, well, I, 
work part-time. I work 25 hours a week. Um, and I've been doing that since I had kids. Um, it just works better, you know, for summers and school holidays and appointments, that kind of stuff. It works well for me to have some time off to help with those kinds of things around the house. Um, I think it has been a challenge for the kids more so when I go and do races, I like to, to incorporate races into my training schedule. And if I'm gone too much, it upsets them. You know, it's, it's difficult to have that, that routine gone or, or just, you know, to have me gone. Um, so I try to be conscious of that when I schedule things. Um, but I don't think, you know, training for multiple hundreds isn't as different as just training for a hundred. Superior and Mines of Spain were only five weeks apart. Um, so the training that I did for Superior kind of rolled into to the Mines of Spain. So that wasn't that big of a deal. Um, luckily, my husband's really supportive. He likes he loves that I race. Um, he loves coming along and crewing for hundreds. So he's really supportive. It was, you know, so if I need to go out and do a four or five hour training run on a weekend, he's okay with that. It's just become part of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Running, running these ultras is definitely a, a lifestyle. And it's only harder <laughs> when you have a family and work. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's a lot of time and it's a lot of money. Um, there's a lot of stress <laughs> saying, you know, Oh, I'm, I need all this money to like Bighorn's $400 just for the race. Yeah. And then you travel and lodging and everything like that. It, so there's a lot of extra stress that goes into it besides just the time and the for training. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, what kind of gear are you using? Oh, I am not a big gear junkie. I just got some bulk socks. I haven't tried them very much, um, but I had a lot of trouble with blisters at my last two races, so I decided to up my, my sock game. So I'm going to give those a try. Um, let's see. I've got, um, for winter, I've got Sport Hill pants that I bought years ago that are still my favorite pants. Um, gosh, I'm really not that into gear. What, uh, shoes, what shoes are you wearing? I've got some Nike Wild Force and Hoka's. I just, I, I'm on my first pair of Hoka's. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's a question. Hoka's? <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't know. <laughs> I think they're speed goats. I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. What what pack do you run? Um I had an Ultra Vesta for years and I just switched to a Nathan last this last year, but I already have a hole in it. Really? So I don't know about that. Go go Solomon. Solomon <laughs> <laughs> for the win. <laughs> yeah that's i i've ran a couple different styles and brands and once i found solomon i'm like no nah, there's no way i'm changing mm. yeah, pretty tried okay. and true they're pretty okay. solid and i tried to sell everybody on one 
So here I am selling you. And I'm not sponsored, but but Solomon, if you want to throw me a free pack. Where's our commission, Solomon? <laughs> so we always ask our guest um who we should interview on the podcast. We don't necessarily have to be running based, uh anything sports based. We're just kind of listening, want to hear uh, someone tell their cool story. This is an adventure sure. podcast. <laughs> so you want a couple names? Sure. Okay. Well, I um, thought maybe Josh Sen from Minds of Spain, the race director from Minds, would be good. What He's awesome. Josh Sen. Got it. And then... Um, have you heard? Have you met Ryan Wanless? Yes. He is pretty amazing. He's a lead man. He's done ITI. He was the last finisher at Arrowhead the year of. Gosh, what was that thing called? When it was so cold. Um, but he's, um. Yeah, he's quite accomplished. And then Jeffrey Lemire. Do you remember him? He came out to Seven Summits, older guy. I do remember him, yeah. He is in the South Dakota Sports Hall of Fame. He's a boxer, or he was a boxer. Wow. Yeah. That would be that's that's that would be an interesting story for sure. <laughs> oh, he's got endless stories. I remember him being a uh, a real character out there. <laughs> <laughs> he is a lot of fun that'd be awesome yeah well andy i really appreciate um you coming on the podcast and and telling your story um we'll give you a couple seconds to air anyone out blast anyone out thank anybody you want to thank um yeah well uh, i thank you guys for having me on and um i'd like to thank my husband he's my main support person and um, my success in running is definitely, um, attributed to him being so supportive and helpful and encouraging. Um, and then I've got a coach at trail transformation, Mike Forrest, who's been really great to work with the last three and a half years. So, um, I think that that's it. Where can people find you if they want to follow you? Um, Facebook, I don't post very much. Um, Facebook, Andy Weber Bennett. Um, and on Instagram, I'm little Andy B. But I, I don't post a lot. Hardly anything. <laughs> Can you start Over posting all your, all your, send pictures of all your buckles? <laughs> <laughs> I went to take box. Well, I was take a picture of them and I lost one. It was somewhere else under the bed. Took uh -oh. a little while time. <laughs> that breaks my heart. <laughs> well, Andy, thanks for coming work. on the podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. You have a super cool story. Um, congrats on your eleventh ultra or eleventh hundred miler and five hundred miles at Mines of Spain. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for coming on. Nice. Yeah, nice talking to you guys. Absolutely. 
Thank you for listening. This podcast has been produced and edited by Backbeat Sound. Come and find us on Instagram at BackbeatSound1776 or email us at BackbeatSound1776 at gmail.com.